0: Hello and welcome back to the Best of Women's Fiction podcast. I'm Ashley Hasty, a book blogger at hastybooklist.com, a college fashion and marketing instructor, an aspiring author working on a historical fiction manuscript, and as of last season, I am the new co-host of this podcast with Lini Cameron. I am so excited about our lineup of authors this season. Let's jump right in. In this episode, Louisa Traeger and I chat about her latest novel, Madwoman, about which Fiona Davis, New York Times bestselling author of The Magnolia Palace said, I highly recommend this fictionalized account of Nellie Bly's early life and her fierce determination to go undercover at Blackwell's asylum. A truly riveting read. Well, Louisa, thank you so much for joining me. As I mentioned before we started recording, I am so grateful that you're giving of your time for both this podcast and my blog. I'm very happy to have you on today. It's a total pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to discuss your latest novel, so let's not waste any time and dive right in. Would you tell our listeners what Man Woman is about?
1: Of course. So, Mad Woman is about America's first female investigative journalist, Nellie Bly. To get her first big scoop and to be taken seriously in the newspaper industry, which was run by men, she faked madness and got herself committed to the notorious lunatic asylum off on Blackwell's Island, which is off the coast of New York. And when she came out, she exposed the terrible conditions. So my novel focuses on that period of her life. She went on to do many other amazing things. And my novel also goes back to her childhood to explore what
0: made her the remarkable person she became. This is your third novel, is that right? That's right, that's right. Uh, The Dragon Lady and the Lodger, all works of historical fiction. What drew you to write in the historical fiction genre?
1: I wrote a PhD about modernist British writer Dorothy Richardson. And when I'd finished, I thought her life story was really interesting and I wanted to tell it. But then the more books I wrote, I realized that there's a theme of trailblazing women. Yeah. So I I I kind of feel that these women almost find me, but but there's a definite theme emerging and I love the form of um, fiction rather than straight biography because it gives me a bit more leeway to access my characters' emotional lives.
0: That's a great segue into my next question because all three of your books are centered around real people and history. So I'm curious what it is that you like about writing about real people as opposed to entirely fictional characters. Of
1: course, well, as I I sort of live my life, I've become increasingly aware that there are so many amazing women who have either been forgotten by history or perhaps men have taken credit for their achievements. And, you know, I, I kind of have developed a passion for telling their stories And my novels always, you know, follow the biographical outlines of their lives. I maybe took a bit more liberty with The Dragon Lady because there was was really very little biographical information. And, you know, as as I said, it, it just gives me license to imagine myself into their thoughts and their conversations, which really enables me to draw out themes that I find interesting.
0: You started your career, interestingly, as a classical violinist, a uh, yes. freelance orchestral player and teacher. So I'm really curious, how did this path lead you to become a writer? Well, well
1: again, it was chance. I got ill. I got M.E. and had to take a year out. And it, it gave me a chance to rethink my life. And also, you know, it would have been a long, long time before I'd been well enough to get back on stage, because that takes everything physically and, you know, emotionally and mentally. But I decided, you know, during this rethink that I wanted to work with words and not music. And I really feel like I found my true calling with writing. But there are a lot of parallels between music and writing. So in a way, I feel that Being a musician was a great training for being a writer. I'm happy to talk more about that if you'd like me to. Yeah,
0: I would love for you to tell me more about that.
1: Well, I think the most important thing was that music taught me the discipline to glue myself to a chair and spend hours on my own honing my craft. And, I, you know, I really think that a, a writer's most important attribute is that discipline to work. And then there are so many parallels between music and writing like rhythm, tone,
0: colour, onomatopoeia, alliteration, repetition. That's so interesting. I, As you describe it, I can, of course, imagine the parallels between the two. But when I first read about it, I was... Yeah, it seems like a leap, doesn't it? It does, yes. Do you still play in your spare time? So
1: it's very difficult to stay on one level and not go downhill when you don't have time to practice. And that, you know, I've fallen into that trap. The last time I played was for my daughter's GCSE, which is a public exam in the UK, which you have to sit when you're 15 or 16. And she did music, she's a a flautist. And there was a, a performing kind of part of the exam. And she said to me, "Mom, will you do this with me? And I w- I did. And we had a great time re- rehearsing. It was a really lovely bonding thing. But I was so nervous because I thought, if I mess this up, then I've messed her exam up. And it was totally nerve wracking. But luckily, that, that didn't happen.
0: And they gave her very good marks. <laughs> oh, I love that. The most difficult part in the writing process, at least for me, is transitioning from the research phase to the writing phase. I could be In the research forever. It's my favorite Mm, process. Isn't it wonderful? It's so wonderful. (laughs) So I love to hear about other authors and their research. Um, So tell me what your research process is like. Were you able to travel when you're researching Nellie Bly? Yes,
1: I'm lucky. I've been able, able to travel for the Dragon Lady and Nellie Bly. And I think, you know, if you're actually in the locations where your novel takes place, it's a privilege. But it 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 does make the writing come alive in some way and i'm i'm exactly like you i love research so my my process is a bit haphazard i sort of start with whatever materials i have to hand and then i follow every lead and some of them you know are dead ends and some of them turn up gold and you never know which is which i'm sure there are other researchers who are much more organized than I am and then I feel the same as you that it's difficult to start writing and to get over that block I make myself start writing while the research is still underway oh oh I like Yes. And it's usually not chronological organized. It's just that certain scenes come to life in my head. I don't know if you find that as you're researching. And I just write them down as they come with no expectations of them being good, but, you know, knowing they will be
0: the basis for something later. Did you develop any favorite resources while you were researching? Any that you kept going back to? Yeah, well, so for Nellie Bly,
1: Um, uh, I think one of the most important parts of the research was actually going to Blackwell's Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. And I went to the site of the lunatic asylum. All that's left is the octagonal tower, which is now part of a gentrified apartment block. But I stood there and I looked out at Manhattan, and it's really a stone's—it feels like a stone's throw. You can see people on the other side of the water going about their business, but it's—it's it's pretty impassable because there are strong currents. And in Nellie Bly's day, there were also patrol boats. Mm-hmm. But I just thought that must be absolutely gut-wrenching for for the inmates of the asylum. And I still found, and no offense to any Roosevelt Island inhabitants, but I still found there was a slightly sad atmosphere there, slightly eerie. And in Nellie Bly's day, it was home not only to the asylum, but also to a workhouse, a prison, and a smallpox hospital. So it was literally the Isle of the Undesirables where, you know, people were, were shipped off so they wouldn't trouble the minds of ordinary, respectable New Yorkers. And I felt that, so I think that was, going there was terribly important. Mm. And then the Library of Congress opened its collections to me and that was amazing. And I've been back to the Library of Congress several times.
0: Do you remember the first time you heard about Nellie Bly? Yes,
1: uh, very well. So it started with a question from a friend And she said, have you heard about Nellie Bly? She's the kind of woman you write about. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't, but I went away to research her and I was instantly hooked. I mean, it was the story of the asylum. And, you know, thinking what kind of person could have done something like that? You know, especially at the end of the 19th century when women were supposed to be well-behaved and
0: reticent.
1: And, And it didn't let go of me. I could not write it.
0: I usually ask what it is about a real character's story yes. or a person's story that uh, was the initial spark of inspiration. But in Nellie's case, I feel like it's so obvious. She lived such an extraordinary life that it couldn't yes. be.
1: So it was her extraordinary courage. You know, she would just throw herself into experiences like the asylum without having a clue, you know, how it would end or if she would survive but she also had great empathy Mm. and particularly great empathy for the marginalized. And I think that came from the fact that she had a very difficult childhood. She knew, you know, what it was like to have given up on belonging and joy because her dad died when she was very young and her mother remarried an abusive alcoholic. But also Nellie's newspaper articles got um, nearly a million pounds extra funding for the care of the mentally ill. And that was in 1887. So that's a huge sum. And also she pioneered a path for women in newspapers. She um, catalyzed a new movement known as stunt or detective reporting, which was the acknowledged forerunner of investigative journalism. And she really paved the way for successive generations of women journalists to achieve what they did. She created the first real place, you know, on the staff for them. So there was so much to be inspired about. And as I said, I felt I couldn't not tell this story.
0: Was there anything in Nellie's story that you wish you could have included in the novel, but it didn't fit your time period? Now i finished it. At the time, no, but now i finished
1: it. She did so many other interesting things. I mean, for example, she went round the world in less than 80 days, beating the record of Phileas Fogg, who is Jules Burns's fictionalized, you know, hero. But even more interestingly to me, she married a much older man and ran his manufacturing company when he died, and, and actually that would make a novel. Someone pointed that out to me, having this radical woman and all these kind of middle managers who are men, who are probably scandalised by her. And she was also the first woman reporter on the front line of World War One, and she was nearly arrested as a German spy. So imagine the novel that. I mean, maybe, maybe the answer is I just have to write
0: sequels to Madwoman. <laughs> Maybe it sounds like you could have three or four books yes. just on your own. This next question is always my favorite because it inspires me the most, and hopefully, other authors who are out there listening to keep working on their craft and chipping away at their goal. So, what advice do you have for writers, either those who are newly published or those hoping to land an agent or publishing contract?
1: Well, first of all, I'd say read constantly. Yeah, And I know opinions are mixed on this, but for me, writing every day really helps. Whether I'm productive or not, I find that if I you know, block those hours out, something comes eventually, even if it's in the shower that night or the next day, that really helps me. Um, I would say first drafts are always rubbish. So... Uh, don't um you know just don't have any expectations once once you just get it out because then at least you've got something to work with again for me exercising helps especially outside because that's where I kind of process my thoughts and don't be afraid to take constructive criticism
0: yeah do you find that writing was similar to practicing music did you practice music every day too
1: yes 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 and you know, I I find that each day I I get a little bit better. I mean, every day I'm trying to get better, but but there is an improvement over a long period of time. I was, you know, honing my craft in both.
0: Your first piece of advice was to read constantly. So I'm curious, what books have you enjoyed lately? Okay, well,
1: I am mad about Elizabeth Strout. And for some reason, I'm binge reading her at the moment. And she's got a new book coming out called Lucy by the Sea, which is going to land through my front door in about three days time. So I'm very excited for that. But I'm, I'm, I just finished Lucy Barton and I'm currently reading anything as possible. And, and these are rereads. Yeah, she's
0: wonderful. I do love her books as well. I also want to share how people can find you. What is your website and where do you tend to hang out on social media? So my website
1: is trager.com and I'm on Twitter and Instagram both as at louisatraeger and I'm probably slightly more often on Twitter but I'm in both places. I love chatting to readers so you know do come and say hi.
0: I've seen that a lot with writers being on Twitter that seems to be like the number one place that most writers are hanging out especially to talk amongst one another I think.
1: Well, I think it's because um, it's more verbal and conversational. I mean, I love Instagram, but I always feel like I'm not very good at it because I'm not very
0: pictorial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense that writers tend to gravitate towards Twitter. I love that. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered?
1: No, I think you've covered everything. You've been absolutely wonderful.
0: Oh, thank you. It was such a pleasure chatting with you today. Likewise. Uh, it's, I'm so pleased to have finally met you. I feel like I kind of already knew you through yes. all of your interactions. Yes, yes, no, exactly. And it's so lovely to meet you in person. And I think
1: you're wonderful. And, you know, thank you for champion authors, championing
0: authors. You, you're, what you do is greatly appreciated. Oh, it's com- for links to the books mentioned in this episode, the authors' social media and more, visit bestofwomensfiction.com. You can also see the video version of the same episode. I'd love it if you'd follow me, Ashley Hasty, on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast right here. And if you enjoy it, please share with your friends.